0: Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
1: Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. It's a beautiful morning.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. Not with me as always, super producer Brandon Newman still off finishing up his duties as an officiant for a wedding over the weekend. Uh, we're excited to have him back tomorrow and hear all about that. But with me as sometimes, my father, Mike Golik Sr., co-host of Golick and Smeddy. Dad, what's going on?
1: I am doing well, my son. Uh, I am doing just fine. It's, um...
0: All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York.
1: It's it's been wild since the Super Bowl ended, not having a game to prepare for. You've had that, I know, since college has ended. It it certainly lightens the load a little bit, but uh, it's still fun doing. Obviously, doing these pods, I do miss you. Do one every day. I do one once a week, and there are so many things that are going on. I wish I did one a little more often to to keep up because it's always football, football, football. But now there's so much going on, you know, in basketball and baseball. You know, uh, uh. uh
0: In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Uh, Racing starting up again. You know, fifth season of drive to survive and watching that fun stuff again and so everything's kind of starting up, and, and I kind of miss it. I di- also did miss the whole family here in Arizona. Got to go. By that, I mean Chris, your mother, um, your your sister Sydney, and Ben, his his husband or her husband, all went to see Cocaine Bear. And I know you saw Cocaine Bear. You talked to it was Oh, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, about that as well. Who stars in it? I I had I, I couldn't make it. Because I was supposed to go with them. I'm very jealous because you said it, it, it pretty much lived up to the hype.
0: Oh, dad, it is 100% your kind of movie. Like, it's, you, you, what you see is what you get. And I thought O'Shea put it perfectly. So, The Magic of Podcasting, I did the interview with him before I actually went and saw the movie later that night. And the one thing he said is, when he was getting ready to do this film, he was nervous because he's a big fan of monster films. He worked on Godzilla, where sometimes you don't see the monster all that often. They tease it right. a lot. It's a lot of shadows. <laughs> And he was wondering how often the bear was going to be featured. That bear is front and center, from the jump and they waste almost no time beginning the cocaine use for the bear. Like watching the amount of active cocaine use in this movie is remarkable. It's a great Testament to where we are as a society where I know weeds legal. It feels like cocaine is legal after this movie.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of uh, 21 jump street, man. We don't want to ruin their lives. Just want to have a good time, you know, <laughs> but I, and, and I heard him say that when he was on with you saying, The bear is there right away, you know, so I I can't wait to see it. I think it's really cool how we got the part kind of on Twitter with Elizabeth Banks, who was she was directing it, correct? Yes. Uh, And and, and they they hooked up on Twitter. He talked about it and that's how I got the gig. It was all pretty interesting, uh, that kind of behind the scenes look. But I'm I'm bummed that I didn't get to see it yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing it.
0: Uh, in the wake of that, I saw uh, The Asylum, which I think is a production company, teased Attack of the Meth Gator coming off this weekend. As Come on. <laughs> That's what I was wondering, and I asked this on Twitter a while back, what drug would we pair with what animal to make the next version of this movie? Because it feels like how we got like the Sharknado phenomenon. It feels like this can keep building when done. I like that.
1: And the one I immediately would say was a sloth and weed. Right? Be a very slow movie. It would be, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be action-packed, that's for sure. Now, did I hear right that this was actually based off a true story? Yeah, so very loosely I would actually, I would imagine so. Yeah, the ba- the bear cuz it is set
0: so it was 1985 in the woods in rural Tennessee and a bear did eat a shit ton of cocaine. It just then like had a massive heart attack and died instead of going on a massive killing rampage.
1: <laughs> I also I didn't know it was in 85 so that that's right that was my right when I got into the league so that 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 actually happened. I I wonder if I read about the story and just forgot about it because a bear ingesting a shitload of cocaine is, is definitely a story.
0: I mean, you did play in the uh, the NFC, or I guess, was it the NFC East at the time when you played in it?
1: Well, that was it was Houston first in 85, so that was the AFC. The, uh, so that was in the but AFC. When you, that was-
0: but when you got to the Eagles, because I was going to say, you played against the Cowboys, which means you probably had to go up against a cocaine bear at some point.
1: Oh, yeah, that's pretty much true. Yeah, <laughs> whole White House thing. Yeah, very good point. I see where you're going with it. And yes, you are right on the mark. Yes. Oh, well done. my God. Well,
0: <laughs> I, I look forward to whenever you get to see cocaine yeah. bear because you are you are going to love it. A- anyone who is thinking about going and making that a part of their viewing experience, you're going to have a great time. The kids in the movie honestly might steal the show for me. O'Shea was awesome. Him and his co-stars that were on there that were going, working for this drug Lord, trying to help recoup the drugs were great. But the two little kids in the movie were some of the biggest laughs in the entire thing. So very, uh, yeah.
1: I, I think one thing I want to ask is off the subject of the movie, if they were ever to make a movie about me, which they won't. So this is completely, you know, nonsensical, but would you play me in the movie? Just as O'Shea Jackson played his father uh Ice Cube in straight out of Compton.
0: Yeah, I mean I would have to go undergo like the work every day in the makeup chair to get me fitted get the hair. for the hair <laughs> necessary for the role would be by far the most difficult part. Everything else I could do very well because like O'Shea with his dad. I have trained my entire life for that role. So I would (laughs) would have the beats down pretty well. It's considered, we just talked about this on the family podcast, sorry, in advance, the Golick family podcast. If you're ever interested in that about uh, my sister and her husband making dad bingo for when they went out to dinner with you, you're, I said, 20 years of sports talk radio in the mornings you got good bits that are bottled up like part right. of being a dad for as long as you have privately and publicly is you got great bits so it's easy to tap into all those if i ever had to play you on the silver screen
1: yeah i think you would do well uh, outside of like you said the hair thing you'd have to make that look as natural as you could which would be tough
0: yeah i'd just be trying <laughs> to keep it at the end i need to get on that Erlacher program yeah how next,
1: about it so. yeah it works well for him
0: My God, Um, we uh, got a great show for you guys today outside of cocaine bear reviews. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo of Michael of Junior tab. And dad, you mentioned it coming off football season almost feels more chaotic somehow because it's a bunch of different sports all occupying that space that we just lost. And this weekend was another fine addition to that book, considering we had NBA action, articles about what had gone on in the Seahawks locker room with Russell Wilson and that staff there. The debut of the pitch clock in spring training in Major League Baseball and the Jake Paul and Tommy Fury fight that went on. Did you watch that fight, by the way? It was going on at the same time as the second half comeback by the Lakers against the Mavs, it made for a really incredible, like half hour stretch of television.
1: I I ended up watching a couple of basketball games. Before that, I watched the Bucks and the Suns, the Bucks without Giannis. Still, he's been out for a few games and the Bucks continued. I think it was their uh, 14 game winning streak right now. They beat the Suns where Durant isn't playing yet. I think he's going to play, start playing Wednesday, I I believe. Um, So no, I did not watch Jake Paul and, Tommy Fury, again, it's Tommy Fury. For those who quickly heard the last name of Fury and thought it was Tyson Fury, it was not. It was Tommy Fury. If Tyson Fury was in the ring, Jake Paul wouldn't be on the earth anymore. Uh, I I did laugh
0: because I didn't realize they were, I think, like half-brothers. Right, 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 exactly. Because it it was like, and not to say... It's sort of weird because I was going to say it's like the movie twin where one clearly got a lot of the superior physical traits, but Tommy's cut up. He's got a great physique. He's just not a giant like Tyson Fury. So when you saw Tyson wearing the loudest shirt combination I've ever seen at the side of the ring and then in the crowd. You saw the disparity there. You're like, oh, man, someone really got the winning end of the gene pool here. But Tommy is built pretty well, so I can't knock him too much.
1: Tommy's built very well. Tyson is not built uh, very well, but I would never step in the ring with him uh, because dude is 6'9 and just got an unbelievable reach and is just, I would think, has, what, one draw in his career and all wins. I mean, out of 33 or 34 matches, Tommy had – this was what, what he had, eight matches coming in, and Jake Paul had six. So I, I, there was a few interesting things here. Split decision, as we saw. But to answer your question, no, I didn't watch it. But nowadays, you can see so much of it after, right. you know, and read about it and such. And split decision. And, and um, Jake Paul even knocked Fury down in the eighth round, though. It, he got it really quickly uh, on it. And uh, so he, he won the split decision. And it was Jake Paul's first loss. He was actually somewhat humble after it, which is shocking for him. Um, a lot of people were hoping he would get his ass kicked at some point because he is a YouTuber like his brother, Logan, who, you know, jumped into the, Logan jumped into oh. the fight world, you know, against what, KSI first, that, this, that whole thing, I think, I think it's KSI, I'm, I'm yeah. you know,
0: yeah, I'm not. This is where I am the most like you. Once we got to TikTok and YouTubers becoming the famous people, yeah. I got a little bit lost in all this. So yeah. you put me onto the KSI thing. I do remember that Logan was getting into the fight stuff. Logan also popped off when he was interviewed in between rounds during this fight <laughs> and called the entire Fury family a bunch of bitches and called them out. Like, Buddy, that, that's. But like that's what they do, and that's yeah. why they're at this point where they're making money hand over. Fame.
1: Exactly right, exactly right. I mean, if you're not talking shit in, in in MMA or boxing, I mean, that's what you do. I mean, that's that's what's done. So it doesn't, you know, all the people that were hoping Logan Paul or Jake Paul will get knocked around because they're jumping into a profession you know, that they were never in, and now they're trying to be, you know, thinking they can dominate it. I could see how that could piss off the traditionalists and boxers who are coming up through the ranks saying, wait a minute, some YouTubers jumping in, you know, and winning these bouts. Well, I guess KSI had beat Logan, and then that's when Jake Paul jumped into this and won his first six fights, beating MMA guys. I think he was supposed to fight Nate Diaz. He still might. I don't know. Box him. Um, but he also is has, has signed with, some MMA place, I think, as well, and he's supposed to start doing that um, as also, well. He's, he's, he's also to deal- jumped into the WWE too, yes, he and did, did that there. as well. He he signed with PFL last month. Uh, the plan at the time was for Paul to make his debut in the cage as early as later this year. So you said it right, yeah. Wrestling, MMA, the boxing thing going on as well. So. And what's he looking for? Now, he said he wanted to be a champion, you know, a boxing champion. You know, he just got split decision by a guy who has eight bouts and is 23 years old, three years younger than him. So I don't know where that's going to go. They said the biggest money fight for him now, and God knows he's made it, a lot of it, would be with this KSI person who I had never heard of in my life, you know, before this. But again, another one of these YouTubers, He he did a, he's done exhibition matches, I guess, and has won them, but never against real boxers. So it's a weird thing because now you got Tommy, Tommy Fury saying after the fight, now I f- you know, feel like I could start my legacy and, and be a legitimate. I'm like, you split decision to YouTuber. Now, granted, Jake Paul has been looking pretty good in boxing. And in all honesty, if you sit here and say, you got a guy, a YouTuber who has not been doing this, winning six matches against MMA guys. And you got a guy who's really in the boxing business, who is eight known trying to make a name for himself in boxing. I'm going to say Jake Paul probably had a better showing in the fact that he doesn't do this for a living. He, or I should say he just started doing this for a living and it was a split decision with a real boxer in Tommy Fury. So that was kind of, I'm sitting there trying to decide what am I taking away from this thing? And to Jake Paul, Hey dude, Congrats, man. He's got he's he's got all these irons in the fire, whether it's WWE, whether it's 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 MMA, whether it's still in the boxing ring, fighting actual boxers or going back and boxing MMA guys like a Nate Diaz. Who knows? But you know what the dude's gonna have? He's gonna have options and he's gonna continue to make some money.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if the loss it was a situation where this was the end, or if what he did in the ring actually helped. Like I'm inclined to think how we measure success. He is always going to be popular and talked about because he came with a following to this party. He is brash and outspoken and all those things. Like you mentioned that played well in the fight game. And now we're going to get the rematch off this. He had the clause in his contract where if he had won on the other side, Tommy Fury had no rematch clause. He wouldn't be able to get one. But if Tommy Fury won, Jake Paul would automatically trigger that. And I think it's going to be in LA and they're both going to make a ton of money. in that. it might not be the biggest money fight. But there's a lot of money in it. And for a lot of people, I think they walked away saying, huh, that was pretty entertaining. And he didn't look bad. Like I've heard a lot of legitimate people around the fight game that cover boxing MMA say Jake Paul's actually turned himself into a pretty decent boxer. And as someone who, listen, we've talked about this pretty openly, got to places in my career a lot earlier than I would have had it not been for my last name. I do understand that sometimes there is the non-traditional path that is going to piss off other people, but if you get there and then are willing to do the work and go out there and show for yourself, we can have a different conversation. The big takeaway I had from this, because I think Jake Paul is going to continue to stay popular, I think, when that fight comes up. Him not being undefeated, I don't think is prohibitive to people talking about or consuming what he does going forward. I think that was part of it, but I don't think that was as much of it as it got made out to be. What I did walk away from this wondering, and I want to ask you this because you've been covering sports for a lot longer than me. Is boxing the only sport that might look a little, even a little more entertaining with people that aren't as good? Because I watched this fight and you heard the announcers on the broadcast. Clearly, they were being critical of the uh, referee saying... When you've got fighters of this caliber, meaning they're not seasoned pros, these aren't great boxers, you got to kind of let some things go or else you're going to be in the way too much on this fight. But everyone agreed these guys, I mean, Jake Paul's throwing massive right hook haymakers and these guys are both trading blows. It looked like a rocky fight where everyone's just getting tagged on the chin. And it was pretty entertaining from that point because there was action, even if it wasn't highly skilled action. And I started thinking through a lot of other sports as we're watching the XFL and the USFL get going right now. We see, you know, live golf and some of these other leagues pop up is boxing. The only sport where it's a little, it's entertaining when the people aren't as good.
1: So I, I, I think so. And I give you the reasons. I think, you know, you watch a regular boxing match two guys, unless you're, a fan of one of them where you're going to root for them? What do we always say? I, I want to see a good fight, right? You know, it- it's like, because we played football, people said, well, who are you rooting for? We're like, you know, we just want to see a good game. Well, what do you want to see? So when a YouTube guy who wants to take up boxing gets into the boxing ring with someone who lives there, I know because before that it was MMA guys who were just boxing. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was you know like when a, a a real boxer you know would would get in with an MMA guy they would box a real boxer wouldn't get in an MMA ring and to go MMA and yeah. get his ass kicked. So I yeah. think, I think this is diff-
0: the first real, I mean, like right. an, you mentioned like Anderson Silva was 47 years old a- exactly. and fought him. So this had been the first fight against someone who was considered like a legitimate boxing <clears throat> counterpart in him. In so like race. I
1: said, if you had two boxers in there outside of you being, you know, a fan of one where you said, I want him to win, you want to see a good crazy match. You want to see, you want to see a good match. In this you got YouTubers 20 his 21 million followers for Jake Paul wanting to say, "Yeah, my guy can step into your world and kick your ass." And then you have all the boxing people saying, "Tommy, go kick this dude's ass cuz he thinks he can come into our world, you know, and and live in our world and be successful in our world." So I think the the rooting interest is a lot more kind of vicious. Kind of, I want this guy's ass kicked on this side for this reason, and I want this guy's ass kicked on that side. So I think there's a lot more kind of blood in the water type of a situation like this because of, of the areas they're both coming from. Yeah, you can story
0: tell the hell out of this, but I mean, even just the boxing itself, because when you watch like Floyd Mayweather for so long was yeah. the biggest ticket in the sport and watching Floyd, if you're a diehard fan of the sport and appreciate the technical masterpiece of how that guy was as a defensive boxer and the things that he did, it was great. If you were a layperson who was buying pay-per-view because it was a big name and you wanted to see people punch each other you didn't often walk away feeling that great because Floyd's really good at not getting touched up. That's why he kept the goose egg foot in the loss column was because he's really good at not getting hit. And at the end of the day, as barbaric as it sounds, when we tune into watching, we kind of want to see people get hit. And in this one, because these guys are less skilled, you see a lot of hits and you see a lot of action. And again, I go back to the Rocky thing because those movies are hilarious because no one plays defense and Rocky just tries to eat punches with his face. But it's fun and makes for a good movie, much the same way this was fun and made for a good
1: pay-per-view card. But so going to Floyd Mayweather, it's it's a good, it's a good example of what, remember when he fought Conor McGregor, right? Yeah. I mean, this was like, again, Floyd wasn't going into Conor's world. Conor was coming into Floyd's world and Conor's world is some boxing. Obviously you're on the ground, you grapple as well. They're They're different. And how many of us bought that? The my, af, I said after that was over, they should have went into the locker room, each other's locker room, and, and cheered each other, you know, you know, clanked champagne glasses for the money they made on this. And what happened after that? What was the, one of the first things I know we all talked about after the fight was, if they have a rematch, there is no way on God's green earth I'm paying a dollar for it because it sucked because Floyd is a defensive guy. He does not get touched up, and Connor is not a boxer, you know? So while it was going longer and longer, it was just like, the fuck are we watching? You know, I, we paid money for this, you know? So you wanted to see something spectacular. And as soon as it ended, I know everybody started talking about a rematch and going, are you kidding me? There is no way I would, I would pay for a rematch of that. Right, which is the total opposite of this. I got yep. done
0: with that, and when Jake Paul was in the ring and says, yeah, I want to do this and run this back, my thought is, I'll absolutely watch this next
1: So place. So let me ask you this, though. Here's where I think that could bite him in the ass, because he's trying to be a legitimate boxer, right? Yeah. So if he goes in against Tommy Fury again, again, 23 years old, who is now 8-0, not in his boxing career has not been long, and if Jake Paul loses to him again... Oh, yeah, it's over Well, so, so should Jake Paul, if you were, if you were advising Jake Paul, would you take that fight or would you take the fight with KSI, you know, which is supposed to be this monster money fight, or would you fight Nate Diaz or would you start your MMA career that he's supposed to be doing later this year? Because I do think the one thing that could end the true boxing for him is to get back in the ring with Tommy Fury and lose again.
0: Yeah, but it's also like when we talk about in the college football playoff where if you lose to a team early and then play them in your conference championship and win, it kind of erases that. And so if you're Jake Paul, it's also the greatest antidote you have if you want to be considered and taken seriously. And I'm sure at this point, like, he seems to actually buy into the fact that he's doing this and believe that he can win. And so if you combine all those things together, him fighting Tommy Fury again and winning – would, I think, put him back on the trajectory that he was looking for. And you heard him after he said, I appreciate The Stugats was strong in Jake Paul after this fight because he pulled the LeBron James bigger than basketball. You know, I've already been a winner in life in so many ways, like <laughs> this, that, and the third. Um, he also pulled the, I got sick multiple times in this camp. Yeah. I had an arm injury. Boy, and can, this you could do without
1: like, that, man. It was,
0: it was just, it, the Stugats leaked out of him as soon as that fight ended. And so if, but if those things are true and he feels like he could come back and do better, right. then I think him winning that fight, in addition to another monster payday, that fight being in LA, I think if boxing is the place he wants to keep ascending, that would be a way to kind of cancel out what I don't think was too much of a blowback because of how close this fight was.
1: Oh, I agree with that. And, and to your point, see, I guess that's what, what you yeah, listen, we don't know the guy at all. I, I don't know what he wants. He says he wants to be a boxing, he wants to be a world champ. I, you know, is that is he saying that to say it, to say I'm, I'm really invested in this? Now we lost this fight. Is he still? But if he truly, if that's what he wants to do, then he absolutely does the rematch. He absolutely tries to get on back on that hamster wheel in the boxing ring. I would agree with that. Because you sit there and look at the fight. Again, it was a split decision. He threw about half as many punches as Fury right. did. 302 to 157. But he landed a higher percentage of them. He threw jabs, he threw, yeah, he threw less than half the jabs that Fury threw, but he connected on a higher percentage of them. He just didn't, you saw him in the rounds, the ones I kind of watched the highlight and what I was reading about it, he would occasionally throw that punch, throw that punch, where Fury was throwing more punches. Obviously, if you just look at the stat, the punch stat, you could see that. So, but I, I, and and he got a split decision out of it. Uh, So I, that I agree with. If he, in his mind, says, I want to be a boxer, I want to win a world championship, then he he absolutely should take the rematch here and try and get that win and then keep going.
0: Yeah, because I think he'd still be able to make money down the road if he eventually wants to fight other YouTubers, if he eventually wants to get into other stuff. It's going to be there because, again, he's got the following to where other people see green when they look at Jake Paul's name. The people that make decisions about these things just see money and a following and a personality that they can work with. That's why he's got all these opportunities. So that was one piece of the weekend, very compelling piece of the weekend. It was happening at the same time as what was going on in Dallas with the Lakers, who I feel bad because talking about the Lakers feels kind of wrong considering they are in 13th place in the Western conference. And it's the LeBron factor where we're just looking, going, and trying to say, how can we get him into the postseason? Is there a way when this happens? And after that, after the other day watching that game against Dallas, you can kind of suppose that it just does feel bad on the same weekend where, as you pointed out, the Bucs won their 14th straight game, even without Giannis in the lineup. And the 76ers and the Celtics played about a phenomenal that game? game. Wow. That Boston won at the buzzer. Like, if oh. I'm doing a who came off the weekend in the NBA most impressive, it was the Boston Celtics to me, just because you had an off Jason Tatum night where he still hit the dagger to win the game, and you had the depth to at one point go up, I think, by as much as, what, 15 in the third quarter? Or, no, they were down 15 in the third quarter of the 76ers. But you had the depth to come back when that starting lineup for the 76ers went off the court, like – At this point, if Boston doesn't win the title this year, it's a colossal disappointment because they are the best, deepest team in basketball right now, and it doesn't seem particularly close when you tack on the deepest to part of that compliment too.
1: Think about the power in that conference, the top three. Celtics, Bucks, 76ers. 44 wins, 43 wins, 39 wins. I mean, that is – and then it's it's Cleveland after that, uh, Brooklyn and the Knicks. And in the West, Denver, Memphis – and Sacramento. Sacramento, I mean, we, we've seen the nuggets up there with, with Jokic and, and and what he's done and winning MVPs and such. Um, but uh, Sacramento being there, I mean, that that's just, they're one of kind of the afterthoughts of, of how good are they ever going to be. And here they are sitting in the third slot. Denver, 42 wins. Memphis, 36. Sacramento, 35. This is as as of the taping of this. Yeah, uh, when, when we're doing this. So obviously, but but those are the, the top three with Phoenix right behind them. And remember, Durant hasn't even started playing yet. So I'm going to be real interested how they're going to be. But the, the thing with the Lakers, Mike, I think it's just like, what were we doing after the Super Bowl? After we we lauded Kansas City for winning and, and talked about, you know, where, where it went wrong for for Philadelphia. And then they lose both their coordinators as head coaches. Then, Bob, the, the biggest team everybody talks about is the Dallas Cowboys. We, this happens all the time, right? You talk about the Yankees. You talk about the Cowboys. You talk about any team LeBron is on. I mean, that's kind of – they're the headline things when, when you're doing national talk. You talk about the big names, right? And that's why I think it's cool. I love seeing Denver, Memphis, Sacramento. I'd love to see one of those teams take it all the way you know, to the finals, you know, because there's Golden State sitting there in the, you know, as of now in the nine slot dealing with injuries, Draymond Green with his knee, you know, messing up again on him. So uh, it's teams, you know, aren't normally seeing in the finals, especially out of the West that you may get, you know, where I think the East is just, just stacked.
0: Yeah, it's a huge disparity. It's kind of like the NFC and AFC conversation that went on in the NFL this year where you had the AFC that was just this glut of talented teams. And then the NFC, which was searching for someone to step up to the plate alongside Philadelphia and for so much of the season, the 49ers. So I'd agree. I I think the Eastern conference is going to be a blast. And still with that, it seems like it should be Boston's to lose. Despite the fact that Joe Mazzulla took over at the beginning of the season after everything that went on with Ime Yudoka, there was every reason for that to take a step back, and it hasn't happened. And we wouldn't be surprised, though, if the 76ers, considering how great that starting five is, went on a run and potentially got to the finals. We wouldn't be surprised if Giannis comes back healthy, and now that Middleton and Drew Holiday are firing on all cylinders and out there healthy, if the Bucs won. In the West, it feels like now we're all expecting the Suns to just walk down yep. the Nuggets. Yep. And quite frankly, if the Nuggets this year don't make it to at least the Western Conference Finals, probably going to be done giving a shit about anything they do in the regular season, right? Because you don't have a lot of the same injury things right. that have yep. been holding them back in the past. They've looked clearly like the best team in the Western Conference all year long. If they manage to fuck up the bag on that side and can not at least get to the Western Conference Finals, there's no amount of MVPs for Jokic or conversation during the regular season that are going to keep them top of mind for anybody.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And the guy, though, how about this for an old radio question? If you only had 50 bucks uh, to go, or if you, had, you know, could go to one game with your, with your 50 bucks, I know it's a lot more than that, what player would you go see? You know, when I was doing a show, you know, you could get in way back when I started in radio, you could actually go to a game for 50 bucks. Wow. What, what, to, to me, I, to me, it's John ja Morant. John ja Morant to me is, is so much, he is the guy now that I love to watch, you know, and he's got his team, you know, and, and, and those that are casual basketball fans, you know, name other players on that team. You know, I mean, that—that that is not a team stacked with star-studded players by any stretch of the imagination. It's a team where guys are playing well, don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about more name recognition, again, for those who casually are watching the NBA. But to me, he's hes the most exciting player that I like watching in basketball right now.
0: Yeah, it, its it, it, I think the series that they had versus Golden State last year in the playoffs – was one of the best things that could have happened for the NBA because you had all the fallout where John Morant and Raymond Green are tweeting at each other that leads into the Christmas Day game this year. You had, just in general, it seemed like real animosity on the court between those teams because the Grizzlies are one of the young, brash teams that didn't really give a shit about what anyone's reputation was on the other side of the court. And so for John Morant, for Desmond Bain, for Jaron Jackson Jr., they went out there and just... Punched above their weight class a little bit in terms yep. of team pedigree, so yeah, Ja's up there. I mean, he leads the he leads the NBA since he came in in attempted posters. Like he doesn't always Yo. put him down, but he goes up and tries to saw somebody's <laughs> head off every game.
1: He absolutely does it, and I absolutely love it. His uh, it it is it is absolutely incredible to watch. You know, especially again because you know we you we're used to watching a basketball what the big guys can do. This dude's 6'3", got a sick handle, and, you know, could just sky, you know, and get up and throw it down. So it, it's just, to me, he is just a ball to watch. He is, and they've been
0: in second or third place in the Western Conference for the majority of this season. There's been a healthy gap between them and Denver right. building, especially going into the All-Star break, with just how both of those teams have been playing. So I think that's also partially why the disparity you describe between the Eastern and Western Conference is, We look at that, and we look at how close together we've talked on this podcast, how from like four down to 13, there's not that many games that have been separating the Lakers from the meat of the bell curve in the Western Conference, and we just keep looking and going, man, you got LeBron and Anthony Davis, which is more than most. That should be a team in this Western Conference that can make it into the playoffs. Now, I had no idea I would start to feel better about that after the trade deadline with some of the guys that they brought over and actually showed up big for this team early on. Look, looking at this, looking at that game, Anthony Davis ended up yeah. balling at the end, finished a lot of that game off. Jared Vanderbilt, who was yeah. the name that I thought I would have no. factoring into this NBA season, no. was legitimately what turned it around. The Lakers were down 27 points at one point in that game. And I think this is per ESPN stats and info. Teams are oh were. Zero and 138 when trailing by uh, 27 or more points this season. So now one and 138, thanks to the Lakers. But when you looked at what Jared Vanderbilt did, 17 rebounds and a shit ton of energy, they did mix up the pot just enough getting rid of Russell Westbrook, who I think at times wrongly got a little bit too much of the blame for what was going on in Los Angeles. But we've introduced a glimmer of hope into a team that's got two-star players that we can all recognize in the inherently weaker conference. So I think that's why, like moths to the flame, we always flock back to LeBron and these Lakers. Oh,
1: yeah, and, and I think one of your biggest points there is the fact that it's in the area between that fourth slot or whatever it is, fourth or fifth slot, um, fourth, fifth, sixth, and, and, and Lakers at like 13, is like four or five games. I mean, you're right, that's it. So you can make up some time uh, with that for sure, uh, and and listen, we got, we got to wait and see what what these guys are going to do that have come there because you know the Vanderbilt and Beasley's of the world have played what four games have been there four games so let's see what happens and that's what everybody's wondering and that's why you're right why the Lakers stay top of mind because you have LeBron uh, they're not that many games out from jumping up though there's a lot of teams to jump over but you also have to wonder about LeBron as as they showed him walking out of the arena. Limping, you know, when he hurt his right foot, you saw when he went down and grabbed his foot, went off the court for a little bit. So, you know, you wonder, you know, what effect that's going to have.
0: Yeah, it's that part's obviously paramount for them. Injury has been what's derailed this team by and large during the LeBron James era outside of the bubble championship. And just looking it up now, between the fourth place Suns, who now everyone has pegged as the favorites to win the West because Kevin Durant's getting ready to come there, and the 13th place Lakers is, I believe, three and a half games. Oh, three and a half, yeah. So yeah. that's, and again, there's not as much, you know, the All Star break's not really a halfway mark in the right, season right, as much right, as it right. is, like a two thirds, one third. So they don't have a lot of time to make up that ground, but. It's why we're all addicted to that narcotic right now. Even though we saw what the really great basketball looks like, like they were still in a twenty-seven point hole right. versus what we've seen from Philadelphia and from Milwaukee uh, and from uh, the Celtics. Obviously, oh at
1: those uh, again. I, I can't. I'm with you. I can't tell you what Drew Holiday has done since Giannis has been out. I mean, dude has just taken over. So they are those three teams, man. It's it's a shame only one can come out of there. Uh, because, uh, they, they're, they're pretty damn good. It is. So
0: NBA hitting its crescendo. Dad, I want to talk about something that's just getting to its beginning right now. And usually doesn't dominate conversation in this way. Major league baseball has got spring training getting started. And this pitch clock has everybody talking about this league at a time where it normally wouldn't get, I think this much national attention, uh, Major League Baseball has got a bunch of rule changes going into effect this spring, larger bases, bands on the shift, and a pitch clock among the most notable that are going on. And the pitch clock already saw its biggest effect over the weekend. So in um, spring training, the Braves and Red Sox were playing and the game ended on a pitch clock violation. Right. Right. So basically you've got the pitch clock, for the pitchers who have to be on the rubber and ready to go by a certain time. But you also have the batters being held accountable saying they've got to be in the batter's box and ready to go as the pitcher is ready.
1: Yeah. with eight seconds to go, the the batter has to, I think it's a bad It's eight seconds that the batter has to be both feet in the box, looking at the pitcher ready for the pitch. I believe.
0: Yes. So, and Cal Conley was the one up for the Atlanta Braves they had just loaded the bases in the eighth inning of a game played on Saturday. And because of these new rules, when the umpire started to go, yeah. So the pitch clock rules. Now the players have 30 seconds to resume play between batters between pitches. Pitchers have 15 seconds with nobody on and 20 seconds. If there's a base runner, the pitcher must start his delivery before the clock expires After the pitch, the clock starts when the pitcher has the ball back and the catcher and the batter are in the circle around home plate and play is otherwise ready to resume. Now, the interesting part about this too was Cal Conley was saying he was kind of glancing down at the catcher like some of these guys would and said the catcher was looking at some of his signs and wasn't really ready. And that was what he had used to determine if he was ready. So you did have some people wondering, Uh, would this be a strategy that people would use, right? Have your catcher not really give the tell of when your pitcher's ready, try and get some of these batters off their their mark like that while they're not yet used to paying to this. Because, Dad, this seems like one of the things that's going to take some time to get used to, which is why it's so great that Major League Baseball is getting all these headlines, for the most part, the initial run at them out of the way now in spring training when the games don't matter.
1: I have zero worry about this. So the three big things that they changed is the pitch clock, no more shifting and the larger bases, right? I think it's actually four and a half inches less distance. I think between bases now for yeah. the, if you're stealing a base or, or trying to stretch a single, or whatever, because the bases are bigger. So those were the changes that we're talking about. This, this pitch clock, Mike, I, I, I don't worry about it one bit. How many how many games did we go to when we were living in Connecticut uh, over Duncan Field? Right? The minor league game over the yard there. Goats, yeah. They they had a pitch clock going there. Do you know what athletes do? They adapt. They I don't care what sport it is. Pick something on, on the offensive line. I pick something on the defensive line that they changed a the rule about. Well, they hell, they changed rules about how you can hit for DBs in the NFL. And it takes a little while because the way you do it is so ingrained, but then you have to change. And you know what you do? You adjust. Players adjust. Some do it quicker than others, but that's what you have to do. So by the time we get to the regular season, maybe even a little bit into the regular season, they'll adjust. They'll adjust their stances. And and look at the biggest difference. You had games in the three-hour area. The game you're mentioning in the other games, two hours and 29 minutes, two hours and 32 minutes, two hours and, you know, 20 some minutes. I mean, that's fantastic because let's be honest. Now, again, I'm sure some of the traditionalists hate it, just like in a lot of sports. When you change a rule, they hate it. And they were like, uh, it's supposed to be baseball. There's not supposed to be a clock in baseball, you know, a, a game clock, let alone a pitch clock. And there isn't a game clock, as we know, but the game moves along what's the fallout from it pitchers have to do it a little quicker batters have to do it a little quicker pitchers may get their stamina tested a little more because they have to be a little quicker but this is all stuff that they'll adjust to it'll feel weird at first but then they'll adjust to it you know why because they have to because it's the new rule it's not going to go backwards, especially when Major League Baseball sees games ending in two and a half hours as opposed to three or over three hours. That's huge. We know that's huge uh, for, for as much as you sit around and you go, my God, it takes forever in between pitch and all that. So I I, I don't I love it. And I think just like in the minor league, the games that we'd go watch, they all have adapted to it already. That, that pitch clock has been around for a couple of years, if I'm, not, if I'm correct in, in yeah. minor league baseball right yeah
0: they've been testing it out in the minors yeah. for a while like I, they will adjust absolutely and like yes. most times in early season baseball it usually favors pitchers anyway and for some guys i saw max scherzer giving people absolute hell like he's a guy that is going to walk into this and absolutely be an advantage because of the way he pitches for some guys it's going to be a bigger adjustment but you're right they will make that switch. If NFL players can figure out which part on the human torso to hit while launching each other full speed at each other across the field, I'm not going to have a lot of sympathy for baseball players here. Even if this is technically one of the most difficult things to do in hitting a baseball, the thing with the rules is I think it's less about the total time of the game. Like, obviously that's a big national thing for us, but I think we kind of get some of these things wrong. The same thing's going on with college football right now. So college football is proposing a number of rule changes right, right. about the pace of play there, uh, eliminating the stopping of the clock after first downs, basically right. until after the uh, after first downs, like the NFL does. Um, trying to change some other rules like that with you know going out of bounds and when that stops the clock, trying to make it a little bit more similar to the NFL. Right, but as people have pointed out. College football games are largely long because there's a shit ton of commercials. Right. And most college football fans are saying, we don't necessarily need shorter games. We want more of the action. And I think with all of these changes to rules for Major League Baseball, there is potential to do that, right? Because you've banned the shifts, more balls get put in play because you've got larger bases. Maybe you've incentivized more steals and more action going on within the body of a play here. The pitch clock, at some point, like you said, we'll see if the advantage tilts in favor more of hitters or of pitchers, as that's a very cerebral matchup. But either way, it all works to try and just get more action into the sport where yes. it felt like between every pitch, you could sit back, check your phone, do any number of other things.
1: Well, listen, if you had a three-hour game full of more action than the three-hour game of, oh my God, what are we doing between pitches? I know they probably wouldn't be the same, but that, you're right. You want action. We're, this, this is, we're in the microwave society, man. Keep it going. Keep it moving. Give me action. Give me something to watch. You know, when, when they say the average fan in a baseball ballpark is like 56 years old, that's me. You know, that's my age. Yeah. You know, they, they, that needs to start turning over. You know, you want to keep baseball going. You got to get the younger fans involved. You got to get them wanting to sit in a baseball stadium for a game. And they'd much rather sit in there for a little over 2 hours or 2 hours and 20 minutes than 3 hours and 10 minutes or 3 hours. And, to your point, they want to see action. Ball gets back to the pitcher. We're on the clock. We know we know a pitch is coming within 15 or 20 seconds. So, you know, I can't, you know, read a paragraph of my book that I took to the game in between pitches. I know it's coming, so I know I get action. In all honesty, it was... I was a little more. What, what do you think about the shift? Because my thought process was, you know what, I'm finding a way. This guy loves to pull the ball. So what? What do you always do? I don't care what sport you play. What does a guy do well, and how do we take that? How do we take that away? You know, every time we go into a football game, we're going to take their best player away. How do you do that? But for by whatever means, you try and take them away. If it's a rusher, you chip If it's a receiver, you double them. Whatever. However. In baseball, if a guy is known to be a puller, we shift over. And you know what? I, I, in all honesty, I didn't have a problem with that. Learn to hit the ball the other way. You have to, you know, in, in other sports, if they try and do something to you because you're so good at it to stop you, you have to learn something else. You have to try to defeat it. You well, have to try, don't you, to do something else. So I'm saying, I know you do this well i'm playing defense against you why can't i play the defense i want against you which can take away what you do best so i have to force you to do something else it's like a receiver who doesn't do well getting off the line i'm gonna go jam his ass and make him do better to get off the line
0: which is why they took away the hand check in the NBA. Which is why they've t- uh, tightened up the way that they call defensive holding and pass interference right. because they want offense. Like it's all. Yeah. You're right. It's it. Fair's a place where they judge pigs. Like this isn't fair. This is about trying to drive up more offense, more <laughs> balls in play, more runs scored. All the rules in every sport that we watch. I guess are that's the defa- benefit I, offense. Yeah.
1: I guess that's the, the old defensive player in me that I'm just like. Wait a minute. These. Defense in baseball is stopping this guy from what he does best. We got to get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. (laughs) Don't do it anymore. I mean, yeah. So I I guess there is a little defensive bias for me.
0: Yeah. It's just harder to sell sexy defense. I know. I know. I
1: know it is. I, I, I get it. So I guess that's just me, you know, like I said, being, being a little biased on the defensive side.
0: Yeah. No, listen, it's understandable. It makes sense from a competitive standpoint, but, uh, very often these things are not about competition as much as you are. Eyeballs, especially right now, because like you said, I saw uh, Ethan Strauss in his uh, newsletter or his uh, uh, Substack put out an article that there is quietly a lot of concern among the decision makers in a lot of the major leagues right now, that the next generation of sports fans aren't as bought in as before. Like even the kids coming up below Gen Z as, you know, whatever generation that is coming up below them. But They're not as invested in it. It's not as a part of the fabric of their lives as it was for me growing up. Certainly it was for you and your generation growing up. It just doesn't have that same foothold in their lives. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are starting to have a little more conversations about what they can do to reach that portion of the audience, because yeah, you always want to cater to your base and most baseball fans I think are going to be there. The diehard yeah. ones. Yes. None of yes. this is offensive enough to drive people right. away from the right. game.
1: Oh, I didn't no, I agree.
0: You're always trying to find a way to yes. reach a newer en- a demographic than especially reach a younger, younger demographic for the lifeblood of your sport.
1: I mean, and one way it's being done now, right? Is gambling, right? I mean, yeah, Gambling in games, in-game gambling, which 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 again in Europe is like seventy-five percent of it is in game. In the United States, it's only been like fifteen percent. So that's that's an area where they want to grow and That's that's gonna keep people's interest. When I when I don't have to particularly care about this or that, only what I've bet on, you know, it's the it's the fantasy football. I don't care about this game so much. I care about that guy. You know? Where in betting it, it, it will be now I care about this team or I care about who scores in the first and the third quarter. Or who you know, the whatever in-game betting it is, so that they found a way to reach those types of people and do it legally now. But but I'm with you. You're always finding a, a finding trying to find a way to get that next generation to to love your game.
0: It, to that point about the uh, gambling aspect of it, the FXFL that was going or the X, yeah. God, the FXFL, Jesus Christ, the X, your league, yeah, yeah, my hellscape of a league, Coney uh, Island uh memories uh the xfl going on this weekend i saw our good friend stormy bonatoni from over at uh vegas stats and information network say it's amazing that i'm working on a nationally televised football game and encouraged to talk about sports betting and live lines and all these things that a league that's trying to just get any foothold these newer experimental leagues that are trying to find their way in immediately said oh no we're going to put up the live over under on the score bug during yes. the game. And we're going yep. to have this as an integrated part of the broadcast.
1: So, and and listen, I have no problem with it. People in gambling all the time. I mean, the, the fact that it was, that it took this long to become legal and find a way to make it legal and work is a little ridiculous. But again, as soon as we know how this works, as soon as people learn how to put the buck in their pocket, yeah. uh, you know, that's what, when the owners, you know, hear that more money's coming into their pocket, they're They're going to love it. What what do you think about in the XFL, which interestingly enough, did you see the rate the not the ratings? Yeah, the ratings for the first week were horrible compared to the last time the XFL started out, which is interesting. I thought I thought it would have been better from that point. We'll see. They they just started especially because whenever the rock Dwayne Johnson gets involved in something, it usually is a smash hit. So it didn't start out the ratings like like I thought they would, but What we always look at is what do they do different in their leagues that we think the NFL should, should adapt. And there's been a couple of things that, that I have seen like no more, no extra point. It's either a one point, a two point or a three point try. I think it's the three yard line, the five yard line, the 10 yard line. I'm not positive, but there's three different areas where you can try forget kicking the extra point which I'm glad the NFL moved back because you see more misses because it used to be ridiculously automatic. So do you take away the kicker, not field goals, just the extra point, and do that? And the other, did you see what they do on kickoffs now? Yeah. I mean, that was wild. You may be able to explain that better than I can.
0: Yeah, essentially the kickoff – all of the people that would be blocking or covering on a kickoff and kickoff return are now moved within like five or 10 yards of each other further down the field. And they have to wait till a certain point before they can begin releasing and chasing after the ball. They have to wait till
1: they have to, they have to wait till the guy catches, actually catches the ball. They're actually encouraging kickoff returns, but they're also encouraging the fact that the kickoff, the team isn't running at full speed where you get those ridiculous hits that can cause concussions. Yeah,
0: because we've seen over the years a lot of the big hits like that and injuries take place on special teams plays, and so they've done that. I saw kicking the football out of bounds to the conversation about incentivizing returns. Kicking the football out of bounds now only gets you up to the 35 instead of the 40, so right. it took a little bit of heat off that to try and get you to put the ball in place some here. That's a thing that I think eventually is going to come into the NFL as safety is going to continue yeah, being yeah. A part of the conversation at the forefront that, again, I think younger fans even more so care about a lot there. But between that, between how they do uh, going for it instead of an onside kick, you get a 4th and 15 back up. 4th and
1: 15, right, right.
0: Uh, more action gives you the possibility for miraculous comebacks like you saw on that first weekend. I'm not surprised their ratings are worse. Pre-pandemic and post, it's a different world in sports watching. and that That's was, true. getting an opportunity before the pandemic when people were still give me as much all the time as possible. And I think in general, we've seen outside of the NFL, the attention everywhere is a little bit more spread out. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I I, I'll be interested to see if the, and, and that's what we're looking for. Right. At the end of the day, we're looking for a league that can end up kind of being, you know, the NFL wrapping their arms around it a little bit. Right. Because these leagues just don't last. And the only league that did really was, when NFL funded the NFL, NFL Europe, <laughs> right. which which lasted for, for years before they stopped. So that that's what I've always been interested in because I love when these new leagues come out because, you know, you were, you were part of this. I mean, you were right on that borderline, you know, of making a team and not making a team. And the more chance you get in other leagues to play and continue to play and show what you can do and get on tape and get another chance to get on a roster, I think it's fantastic for these guys because all the other sports, have the minor leagues, and I guess the NFL considers college football the minor leagues, but yeah. I, I would love there to be a league that does well enough in the spring that the NFL kind of embraces and ends up working with.
0: And, and I think the metric for success won't be ratings for that. I think it will be, can you bring us players that we may have otherwise missed? Right. Like right. Can we, When we see a lot of these guys, like what happened with Kevontae Turpin from the Dallas Cowboys. right when you see guys make their way from these leagues to Sundays and you get more stories like that of, oh, this guy balled out on the defenders and now he's playing for the Washington Commanders and doing really well. Do you show yourself useful in that way? And then do you become a league that can kind of test drive some of the things the NFL might be interested in rule-wise? And if you can show them enough utility there, then it becomes easier, like you said, to have Papa NFL wrap their arms around you and say – okay, Dwayne, you can stop lighting money on fire because we know you got to have like three years worth of cash to burn. And that was what Vince McMahon said about the XFL before the pandemic was I'm prepared to lose money for like three years on this. Knowing we got to kind of prove the concept here, it's going to be the same way. So I would expect The Rock to make the Tooth Fairy Two and another Jumanji movie, and yeah. probably get back at WrestleMania and do a bunch <laughs> of these things because he is going to need to recruit some funds.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's going to. He's, he listen, he's a cash machine. Sell a little more tequila, Man. whatever. But but I I mean I I just I love the thought process and I love his approach is a guy who tried to make it in the NFL and didn't. And the number 54, you know, with 53 guys on a roster and he was always number 54. I do love the approach and he's a likable guy. So uh, I, but, but whether it's that league, whether it's the USFL, that that'll be, I think they'll be starting up pretty soon as well. Yeah. I don't care. I hope they both survive. I just love players having the opportunity a to continue playing the game. They love, if that's all they want to do it for, or B try to continue to get taped to show the next league and maybe get a chance.
0: The rock did prove that no matter how much money, fame, success, and likability you have, it's impossible to look cool as an adult wearing a tech fit Jersey. Without I mean, pads. isn't that the truth? Isn't it, that
1: the truth?
0: He did when he did that introduction that first weekend, I saw that and I said, oh, okay, he is, he is mortal. Like there's something that he can't overcome. And it's that look
1: he, that dude, I don't think owns a loose shirt. Everything he does is a tight shirt. How does that happen? And I, I, I don't imagine he was happy about it either. Because listen, when you got a body like that, you either never wear a shirt or always wear a skin tight shirt, which is what he does. So to have that thing with the with the shoulders well, puffed out, I mean... He, was, looked, he uh, was
0: wearing the jersey that would go over pads. They don't yes. look good worn like no, that. This no. is the case where you need the looser jersey that he's just going to look jacked wearing yep. because he's the rock. So yep. that yep. was either he didn't have people in his circle to tell him, no, this is a bad idea. Or somebody doesn't have a job now in wardrobe. <laughs>
1: exactly right. Anymore. Exactly
0: so, right. Somewhere in between those two things. He's like, uh,
1: Shooter McG- he's like Shooter McGavin. Five iron, huh? Yeah, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Speaking of people trying to get people fired. There um, you go. Segway. Man, nailed it. Ready for that one. Um I, like you talked about, not doing live radio anymore. I was sitting around listening to ESPN 710 LA out here, listening to George Sedano and the guys in the afternoon, talking about uh, Friday afternoon that Russell Wilson article from The Athletic. Kalen Kaler and a couple other reporters over there did a deep dive piece about how Russell Wilson reportedly tried to get Pete Carroll and their GM, John Schneider, fired <laughs> before he was ultimately traded from the Seattle Seahawks. And then went on to document how inside the Broncos building, you had the office that was up on the coach's floor there, the meetings that he was holding on Tuesdays for players, and just in general, the idea that Russ had a little bit too much control. and The, quarterback coach, the quarterback
1: coach he had yes. that could be in the
0: facility. Right. Jake keeps his longtime quarterback coach, his nutritionist. He had convinced George Payton, the GM, and the rest of the Denver Brass I need to have all this stuff in here. And then he wasn't good at football. And so all of that went south. Um, I mean, the part about him trying to get Pete and John fired wasn't really as surprising as it was embarrassing because the Seahawks clearly heard that and were like, oh no, we'd rather get rid of you. And then they looked right on the back end. Like that's just a tough own now on the other side for us.
1: So I guess I guess I would ask, do you, do you believe it? I mean, again, as Russ, obviously Russ denied it. Uh, he yeah. said, you know, Pete's uh, a father figure to me and John believed in me and drafted me. This is where he was drafted. And and he went in and that's where he had his Hall of Fame career uh, there. And obviously, again, I think it was in February of, of 22 yeah. that it was said he tried to get them fired because he wanted Sean Payton in. Now it's pretty, pretty interesting he still gets Sean Payton, right? Call, call so your shot, man. That yeah. was,
0: honestly, if you're a Broncos fan, You got to feel pretty good about at least reading that because at every juncture, there was that story too about I think Melvin Gordon somewhere along the line said me and my backfield mate would really like it if you ended up in Denver. And he was talking about him and Russell Wilson late in that season or just after the season. So Russ has wanted this guy for a while. So if you're a Broncos fan reading that, you think maybe he'll listen because he's clearly been shooting his shot for
1: this. So do you believe the story? Do you tend to believe, err on the side of believing he wanted Pete Carroll and Schneider fired?
0: I wouldn't be surprised because that was the conversation we were having as a public too, is this idea that the marriage had soured there right? and some part of that needed to go. Now, I was on the wrong side of history with a bunch of other people who said, well, you've got a quarterback who had been great for you before. And you've got a coach who's getting up there in years, Right. one of those is a lot harder to find than the other typically. Right. And so yep. I was on team, hey, keep Russ and maybe mix up the pot at coach a little bit. Yep. I ended yep. up being very wrong in the immediate returns on that. But no, it wouldn't surprise me if Russ went to management and said, hey, this ship has sailed on this. And I think to maximize my best years left here and give us a chance of doing this. We might need to consider somebody else. I don't think that's too far fetched.
1: Yeah, he wanted a reset with him still being the quarterback, and the 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 team wanted a reset with him not being the quarterback yes. anymore. And and listen, they clearly came out. Of, you know, it's like it was like when Brady left New England. Okay, who is it, who is it going to be? Does this mean are we going to find out it was all Bill or find out it was all Tom? You know, so then we were going to find out. Oh God. Because I thought it too. I thought, well, Rush is gone. Seattle is now rebuilding. Got Lockett and Metcalf are going to want out of there at some point because they got to rebuild this thing. And then Geno Smith comes in and has, you know, the year of his life out there. And they're getting some young defensive players again, so building up. And they were the talk of the league for a while. So, and 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 I I love some of Pete's quotes when they beat Denver you know of just how he, how happy he was for the other guys you know and but oh there had to be so much satisfaction in that
0: yeah that's also why i believe it cuz that was ice cold between yeah, him it and was Pete during it that was. game but the stuff in denver i think was equally as fascinating cuz a lot got made of him having too much control in that building which in gent like some of the specifics of it the office from everyone i've talked to is not something that most quarterbacks have had throughout right. the league like most guys have not had that level of input but having meetings on off days, you know, inviting other players and saying, Hey, I'm willing to go over stuff with you. Like in most good organizations that have a franchise level quarterback, we went through this in the Andrew Luck piece that came out, the Seth Wickersham piece where you're expected to kind of be the coach and kind of be the quarterback and kind of be the CEO of the franchise. Like you've got to wear a bunch of different hats. So none of that was as surprising to me as just, the overall ineptitude and really what it showed of how in over his head Nathaniel Hackett was pretty quickly right. in this situation.
1: Well, again, I mean, here's a, a guy, a Hall of Fame quarterback coming into a team of a guy who gets a first-time head coaching job. Certainly, he's going to be able to run a little, if he wants to, run a little bit of rough shot over, okay, if I'm going to be here and be the quarterback, plus you just gave me all this money, you know, here's what I need. Because I remember hearing that and, and texting a lot of guys I played with or against going, wait a minute, am I missing something? Because I don't ever remember seeing things like this. Now, again, I played back in the ancient days, but I was really trying to find out. And I found out or heard that some of the same stuff you did is like, no, an office there or, you know, their quarterback coach, you know, could you see it in baseball where a right. nutritionist or a hitting guy or somebody is around, you know, we've heard about, obviously with TB12, where that was actually yeah. around there, right Their their facility.
0: It was near that facility and he's Tom right. bleeping Brady, but like right. that, that's actually a good Avenue to kind of explain how tangent some of this stuff is because there are guys in the building that aren't doing the same program as everybody else for certain. Right. Right. Like plenty of guys have their trainer, not in the building, but they're doing their stuff. I remember being in training camp with the Steelers and watching Ryan Clark and Troy Palamalu while the rest of us are doing the weight program. there, doing the carefully designed program by their training staff that had gotten them ready to play for 13 years of their career. And they were allowed to do that stuff because they're veterans, because they know what works for them. And so they were using an outside coach, just not inside the building building, in a way that makes it really awkward for everybody else, where you've got these Tuesday meetings and Jake heaps is going up there and going through the slides with guys about the other team. And some guys are probably looking around that room going, who the fuck are we listening to right now?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, what's the one voice here? Right. And Sean Payton made it pretty clear when he was there that he's the voice. He's the voice. He ain't playing that game at all. What did he say? It's going to be the coaches and the players in our facility, and that's it. So, and listen, I don't think Russ is going to have a problem with it. Russ is Russ is going to be too busy trying to trying to make up for that drek that was his season last year. You know, as as it, you know, everybody's saying, "Oh my God, is his legacy going to take a hit after that year?" And well, if he does it again, you know, you may start to slide a little bit. So he's got his own making up to do.
0: Yeah, the biggest thing about the whole office in the building thing that kind of was interesting to me. And it was a little part of the article, but to me, it was the most telling was Jerry Judy saying, yeah, once cause later in the season, he gave up the office. He had a different PR team. He was trying to do all this damage control late in the year. And Jerry Judy said, it basically just meant Russ was in the locker room more. And that was the part I was like, when you willingly separate yourself too much from the team, And it's like you're up there with management, which a lot of quarterbacks sometimes get that labeled on them anyway, because when you're paid that much and you're that important to the franchise, you are a little bit more management than player in some of these spots. But in a season where we saw visible frustration from his Caesars, him getting cursed out by his D lineman, there is that wonder of, you know, the locker room sacred space for the players. Like I've seen locker rooms in the pros where they kind of chase coaches out of there. Like if you're a coach walking through there, you're in and out of there pretty quick because that space is supposed to belong to the players. Right. And so when you kind of section yourself away from that and you're already a guy that seems a little bit hard to get to know genuinely, you can't be an outlier and then not perform, right? Right. It's right. just like being a draft pick that's undersized. You can't be an outlier and not be extremely productive. You don't get to be an average outlier. That's how you get cut. Right. So much in the same way, if you're going to try and do all these things that you believe you deserve because you think you know the football better, if you don't deliver, that house of yep. cards crashes quick.
1: That's exactly right. And and the house of cards crashed. <laughs> it yes. crashed big time. First on the head coach and and certainly all year on uh, Russell Wilson as well. So we'll see. We'll see what Sean Payton can bring into an organization that has basically the richest owners in all the land now, uh, the, the billions and billions that there were. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested in that. I, there's something else I wanted to ask you. I know we, we this this kind of just came out and I was wondering what your thoughts were um, about Byron Jones from UConn. Yeah. You know, and with the Miami Dolphins now the cornerback. Remember he had the, what the, like, over 11-foot broad jump where all of a sudden everybody was losing their mind at the combine, and yep. and, and and he signed a huge – he was a first-round pick of the Cowboys, signed an $82 million deal in 2020 uh, with Miami, right? And he could be like an $18 million cap hit, but the Dolphins might cut him and they can save money. Basically, he said much has changed in eight years. Today – I and he's coming off an Achilles injury that he had.
0: Yeah, and he, said t- this, he quote tweeted ESPN or SportsCenter had tweeted out a flashback to his combine performance with right. all of those numbers. So this is where those comments from him are in response to.
1: He said, today I can't run or jump because of my injuries sustained playing this game. Do not take the pills they give you. Do not take the injections they give you. If you absolutely must consult an outside doctor to learn the long-term implications. So I read that and listen, everybody is allowed to, to manage themselves the way they feel is right. There was a guy in the league playing when I was playing. I mean, he, he would basically take an aspirin and that would be it. He wouldn't take a, a an ejection, a pain, nothing. Wouldn't even think about it. And, and it certainly was his choice. And, you know, Byron saying that I understand it because there's damage to his body. So I, I understand him feeling that way. And by the way, you're allowed to get second opinions all the time, A, on your injuries, or B, you can consult other doctors to find out, you know, what they're giving you or what it does to you. You're you, you, you you're allowed to do that as an NFL player. Um, you don't have to take the pills and you don't have to take the injections. Um, and him saying not to do that, he has every right and every opinion to do it. I was a player. I took every pill they gave me. I took every injection that they gave me because that, that was my choice and I wanted to do it. And, you know... Anybody who's played for any amount of time, you know, even if it's just through college or even into the league, you're going to give parts of your body to the game. That's just, you know, it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if you get hurt, it's when you get hurt. You know, it's coming. The longer you play, you know, it's going to be something. It's just a matter of how damaging it can be. And I was one of those. And I remember people would ask, don't you care about what you're going to be like at 50? I said, I care about Sunday. And that's it. And it was interesting when you and Jake started playing because people would then ask me, because I was very open about this when I was doing, you know, radio at ESPN. First with, with Tony Bruno, who I started with, because I had just finished playing and I would talk about my days. And then with Greeny, I was very open about, I, I, they gave me something, I took it so I could play. And then you guys came along and you guys started to play the game. <clears throat> and people asked me, what if coaches want to give your kids that stuff. And I don't mean in grade school or high school. I mean in college. Yeah, in college. You know, I, I'm talking about when, when we're at the big boy table, okay, in college. And then on and into the NFL. They said, what would you say? I would say, listen, especially, you know, because we're talking about, we were talking at this time about college. You have to kind of know how you feel about your body. And you have to make that decision. All I can tell you is what I did and why I did it. But it doesn't mean why I, because I did it. You had to do it. I would. I said I would let them make the decision. I would tell them that I did it. I didn't, I don't have, I mean, I have the normal injuries other people had. You know, may have to get a knee replaced or a shoulder replaced like many other thousands of players. I, I'm not debilitated in any other way. So it didn't affect me the way Byron is saying it affected him. And again, every single player is different. So I, I this isn't a bang on him at all. This is just his opinion on how we went about it. I'm just saying how I went about it, but it got, it did get more real when I was asked about you guys, because I didn't give a shit about doing it to myself, but now it's my kids out there. And, but I was still okay. You kind of have to decide for yourself, talk to the doctor, ask questions if that's what you want to do, or just take it. If that's what you want to do, you have to make that decision on your body. And I, and I, I wonder how much you were ever put in that position.
0: Well, the thing with that I said, I said this to someone the other day, like I was one, like I took pains. Like I had a lot of guys that had had surgeries that I knew in college. And so there were times where like, just sitting around, like we just take painkillers for shits. Like, like we were not smart and it was part, (laughs) part part being young. It's part being young and dumb, but it's also like, part we didn't know as much about the effects of those things. And that kind of goes to the concussion conversation that's been had about football a lot is having the information about what the long-term effects of this are. Like it's not just some amorphous, Hey, you know, eventually something, you know, this might not be great for you. It's a foreign substance. We can all kind of generally surmise that that might not be the best versus now all the information that we have about opioid use and what it can do long-term, chronically the potential addictiveness of that what the effects of things like tortle and some of these shots are on the body when done over and over again long term and so i think players now are a lot more aware of that stuff and i think for guys like byron who see the effect on it a guy who was an otherworldly athlete watching the effect that he believes these things have had on him i can understand why he'd say hey, guys, stop and think a little bit more. Like, let's make sure everyone's got all the information so you can make that decision. Because at the end of the day, it is still a value problem. It is, how much do you want to do to make life-altering sums of money in this particular sport? And that's why the conversation about medicinal marijuana and all these other pain management things have become a topic of conversation for a lot of former players.
1: Well, and I want to get to, to that, but because what's the question always asked is, would you do it again? Yeah. Would you would you, and and 90, 90 to 99% of the time the players going to say yes, I would do it again to be out there and play. But the biggest thing you said and you're correct is information because that was different. We didn't have all the information then. We just took it to play. Now, if I played in this generation, would that have changed? I don't know cuz I would have been raised in this generation right. to think more and we also have more understanding. I had guys that got addicted to the to the opioids. Um, we took tordal shots before every game until they finally said, okay, you know what? This may not be good for us. And they stopped it. We could get any painkiller. We wanted in a fucking candy dish or whatever you want to call it, but they learned, okay, we have to stop doing that a little bit, but guys still made choices. If they were hurt to seek that stuff out to play. This is what aggravates me a little more today is we have more information and, and I I'm with, all of those that say opioids, my God, how bad they can be for you. And if we're finding out that CBD can help and it's not nearly what opioids are, why in the hell aren't we doing this? I remember on air, I think it was with Sean Salisbury one time when we were working together at ESPN. I I said, I would love to ask a doctor. I'm going to smoke a cigarette every day. I'm going to take an opioid every day um i'm gonna do a steroid every day i don't know if that's relevant really um and i'm gonna smoke a joint every day which one is going to hurt me the most and which one is going to hurt me the least and you got to believe it's the marijuana is going to hurt you the least of all those things right you know a drink an opioid you know or whatever so i mean that's what i don't understand is we're getting more of the information but i think we're still kind of slow on the uptick of why don't we use this? You know, why don't we use this new information that says this may be better than what we have been doing for a long time. That, that while it worked and I never got addicted to it, I know players that did. So you knew there could be an inherent danger to doing it, but we all still did it because we wanted to be on the field.
0: Yeah. I think change is slow in the NFL for a lot of reasons. And one that's interesting to me, I saw Bamani Jones talk about this on his show Game Theory on HBO. How the NFL has given like 250 million dollars towards the Inspire Change initiative that gives to a lot of like very progressive groups dealing with you know uh, charities around prison reform and different things to help minority communities that they do not publicize at all the same way right. that they publicize you know the Salute to Service games or the Breast Cancer Awareness games. And Bamanis' posit, uh thing he posited was that's done to kind of appease the more conservative older fans of the NFL that are the meat of the base. I do wonder if there's still some of that stigma for some of what the NFL considers its main base around yep. marijuana versus taking pills, which has just been a part of this process for so long. It's just been seen as the norm in this versus something that's different. That's having a stigma removed for a lot of people, but again, who the NFL chooses to do things publicly and privately for is, I think, an interesting conversation that both started yeah. on that show and could have something to do with it.
1: I mean, stigma is one thing. Science is another. I mean, you know, if you can see something can have a, a good effect on your body and not a bad long-term effect, I mean, my God. And I, and I want to quickly say, I'm not sitting here saying I took any pill I could or any shot I could. And I'm saying, Byron saying, don't do that. I'm not trying to say, oh my God, I was a tough player. I came from a tough era. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you the absolute truth. I took it because I was scared to death to come off the field. Scared to, it wasn't so I could be on the field and be this tough macho football player. It was so I could be on the field and not come off the field. You know exactly what I'm saying, Mike, because if you come off the field, you don't know what the fuck you're getting back on the field. So that was the reason I did it. It wasn't this macho thing, and, and I'm not saying – or a toughness thing, that I'm saying Byron is not because he's saying don't do the pills and don't do the shots. That's not what I'm saying at all. I did mine out of fear of having to come off the field and maybe not being able to get back on the field again.
0: Yeah, it's all about what your motivator is, right? And for most guys, it's that – I mean, it's the thing we hear all the time you're dealing with the five minutes in front of your face. It's how you get through training camp. It's how you get through every day. It's you're never taught to look too far down the road. That's the Bill Belichick. We're on to Cincinnati. Like we've got whatever's in front of us. And for most players, the problem in front of me is, all right, am I on the field as much as I want to be? If I'm not, how do I get there? And if I am, how do I keep myself there? And everything that comes later on in life has always felt just like that. It's later on. I'm busy doing this thing. I've got a limited opportunity to do now with a ton of financial game and just the personal gain of doing something that you want to do right. also. But let's be real. The finances are a big part of it for a lot of guys. And so it, for Byron, it is just interesting because when we hear a lot of former players talk, it's always, I think, dependent on how much has this affected you physically? How much has it affected someone that you care about physically? Have you watched teammates deal with complications from this? And that's where it comes up. Like, it, was it worth it for what right, you got right. out of it? And For some guys who were able to change their life and their family's life, mm-hmm. maybe that answer is still yes. It's going to be different for everybody there, but it's definitely, I think, a conversation that is going to keep coming up. This is what happened when we had that young linebacker whose name escapes me retire uh, a whole bunch of years ago from the 49ers out of Wisconsin. Right. But- yes. You know, whether it was head injuries or anything else, you've got guys that are a little bit more cognizant of what's happening to their bodies over the course of this gladiator sport.
1: Everybody, though we were in the same sport, everybody had a different path and a different reason. So, you know, that that's all I say is you do your and and nowadays there is so much more info and so much more research that you can do and some choose to do it your your generation chooses to do that a little more and some may not some may just say i'm just doing what i got to do to get on the field it's it's all your personal choice
0: yeah the where the rubber meets the road is if there is pressure from the team to right. do those things to get back on the field and if you are made to feel like hey you're not doing everything you can to get out there <laughs> from people in the organization, from right. teammates, that's yeah. where this conversation starts to get a little muddy. And that's the, I think why people like Byron Jones feel compelled to speak up because they do know there's a lot of unspoken pressure that <laughs> yes, goes on is. in these yes. locker rooms. And whether that's in college, you know, the old joke, like school's number one and football's number two, as I hold yeah. up the opposite finger yeah. for each of those that coaches would often throw out there or the stuff about, Hey, like, are you doing everything you need to do in the training room to get back out there? I think those are all things that seep into this conversation that someone like Byron is sort of inadvertently trying to run cover for like, Hey, if you're a guy that doesn't want to take this shit, you're not a bad teammate. You're not a guy that I'm going to
1: disparage. The, the, the other, the, the, the troubling part of that can be is we all know the hierarchy in a, in a locker room. We all know who the stars are and we all know the pecking order coming down. And now, I will say I never was pressured in any organization or by any coach to, to do anything. I put the pressure on myself to do right. it and say I want to be on the field. But my point is, if there's a star player who says, I'm not doing that, you know what the coaches and, and and GMs are going to say? Okay, cool. You know, let's get you ready. If you're a guy who's a contributor and wants to continue to be a contributor, there may be a little more pressure for you to—that's certainly possible to do—to say, hey, you know, you know, you ain't making a club in the tub type of deal, and and that and then that's something that you. And I'm, and it's not right. I'm not saying it's right no, at all, No, but, but then what, it's something you got to deal with.
0: But what you brought up is true. It's not as direct as, hey, I need you to take this steroid real bad <laughs> to get out there. <laughs> right, it's right. a coach walking by when you're on the bike on the sideline because you got an injury two days into camp. And it's like, you aren't going to make the club in the tub. Like that reminder that while you're over there, you're not yep. improving your chance yep. to get out on the field. That pressure around the whole pressure cooker is Kind of what real. we're talking about here, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, it is. Yeah,
0: it's very, real. very, very real. And at the heart of that conversation, um, that's a conversation we could have all day there. Yeah. Uh, but we got to bring this thing home. We got to land this plane. We got to ask the question: Do I know what time it is? I usually ask that question to Brandon. Today, I have to ask it to myself. It's a little bit more awkward. But uh, three quick stories to finish off the day here on. And because I have to sing it in, Dad, I chose this song uh, for you. To make sure that we got into this. <speaking> in the there's a port, port, on a on western bay, bay, and it serves a hundred ships, ships a day. day lonely, lonely sailors, sailors,
1: pa- sailors pass, pass the time, time away, away and talk, and talk about, about their homes. Their and there's a
0: girl in this in harbor, harbor town, town and, and she, she works, works laying whiskey down. down and they, they say brandy fetch, fetch another round, round. she serves serve them whiskey, whiskey and wine, wine. the sailors say brandy you're, you're a fine girl. girl what a, what a good, good wife, wife you would be me. yeah your eyes I, could steal a sailor, a sailor from the sea Best that and the third <laughs> <laughs> that's as much now, as I could shoehorn it in.
1: So the, the difference there is I'm sure you had to look at the words and I was not looking at the words and I was singing on key as you were trying to figure out which way it should go.
0: Yeah. Well, I also had you on a delay in my ear. So oh, it, that's it a ma- bummer. I'm sorry. Ma- no, you know what? It's yeah, the, yeah. It, Hey, double finger pistols. That's yeah. showbiz, baby. There you we go. got through there you it. Go. We enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell us, How much you missed Brandon singing that instead of me, I know he does a better job. Uh, He
1: would have butchered that so badly. Destroyed it. He does have a beautiful
0: singing voice, though.
1: But he would have butchered that song. he does.
0: Uh, Dad, three quick ones on the way out here. First and foremost, uh, we got to talk about this. Notre Dame had themselves a weekend. Now, in addition to the men's lacrosse program being currently undefeated and ranked number two in the country, how about you boys bulldozing Georgetown? Notre Dame won ACC regular season titles in men's and women's fencing yes. and women's basketball yes. in the same weekend here. So congratulations, Dad. As you know, Notre Dame has been a women's basketball and fencing school for a long, long time.
1: I think Notre Dame is a fencing school now until until Marcus can get him back uh, at the national championship, which we've been trying to do since 88. The amount of, I think, fencing champion national championships has finally passed football championships. I think they might be at 12. I could be wrong, but they're so dominant. It's incredible. And I love the fact they beat Louisville who was talking all kind of smack for this game. Uh, And the women though, we did get one of our, our, our top score. um, Yeah. So Olivia miles left with a
0: knee injury during this game. Hopefully. that there's good news it was late in the second quarter she came back out and had it wrapped in the second half she's been like a borderline triple double machine and an absolute nightmare rec spec jesus herself so fingers crossed she can get back here for the acc tournament run and definitely for march madness because it's been really cool to watch you know at the end of muffet mcgraw's career at notre dame and then the handoff to neil ivy Wasn't the cleanest in the world. They took a little bit of a step back for a second there, but to see them back perennially in the top five, top 10 this year. And exactly what we expected for someone with, you know, Coach Ivy's pedigree and her ties to the school.
1: I think I saw already like a, like a, uh, of the, the, uh, seeded line that Notre Dame might be a three seed at this point. Now, I don't know if they can maybe improve that through the ACC tournament. I don't know, but, but, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But congrats to them congrats to lacrosse, congrats to fencing, all, all stud-like performances.
0: Yep, great weekend for everyone involved here. you love to see it. Get well soon, Olivia. We hope that we get some good news about that injury. Hopefully, as you're listening to this podcast on Monday, uh, they have already announced that she'll be available. Uh, Dab, we'll get to that here. Quinn Snyder gets a five-year deal to coach the Atlanta Hawks, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Yesterday, he had been an assistant in Atlanta when Mike Budenholzer was there before he ended up becoming the head coach of the Jazz, took them to six consecutive trips to the Western Conference playoffs and three berths to the Conference Finals, before stepping away when that whole Jazz core of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell kind of ended up all breaking up once Quinn Snyder had stepped down. But this seems like one of those, you know, hey, we got to make it work now with him and Trey Young because after that Eastern Conference Finals appearance now two years ago, it's been a lot of looking around and wondering what the hell's up.
1: Well, yeah, and, and Trey Young and, and Snyder have talked about the you know their enthusiasm for working together, which you know why wouldn't they? And the fact that the Hawks pursued him pretty quickly after they fired Nate McMillan, they they went after uh, Quinn pretty quickly. who's like what I think fifty six. He's close to my age. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's going to be time at some point. Run right when you have a guy like Trey Young, you're, you're always trying to to make hay with the guys you have because obviously it's a league where we see guys. And players moving around as much as they do. Atlanta, again, I think sitting in they're they're just like a game over five hundred or right in that area, sitting in like the A slot right now. So let's see let's see what kind of move this makes.
0: Yeah, and listen, the last time the Hawks installed an interim head coach was Nate McMillan in the middle of the yeah, season, and that's yeah. when they ended up going to that Eastern Conference final run. So uh, could be predictive there. But like you said, you know Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell has sung Quinn Snyder's praises. I think he was talking. To Trey Young after they played the other day against Cleveland about how much that guy helped his career. And so here's hoping because having Trey Young be an exciting sort of, you know, not villain, but embrace kind of being the heel yeah. was very yeah. fun for a little guy to be a part of that. So uh, we'll see what happens in Atlanta. Dad, let's get to the third, though. Um, the Rockets owner, Tillman Fertita is reportedly amongst the groups that have now put in a bid to purchase the Washington Commanders from Daniel Snyder, this according to the Washington Post. Now, Dan Snyder reportedly has said that he wants at least $7 billion to sell oh. the team. The wow. Fortita offer was reportedly around $5.5 billion, which wow. is the second known bid, I think, ballpark of what the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey's Devils partial owner, Josh Harris, offered to be a part of that as well the other interesting news is that the Washington Post has reportedly said that um, Jeff Bezos is yep. banned from placing a bid because Daniel Snyder has often intimated that he thinks the Washington Post has had it out for him more or less
1: I mean my god well, I, I listen I, I guess at some point you have enough money so you're not worried about the the highest offer but you can't you know Bezos if Bezos wanted it he's gonna make the highest offer right I mean, he's right. he's going to end up giving Snyder the, the most money uh, unless Bezos has a line that says, I'm just going to walk away. But if he really wanted to own an, an NFL team, then he, could, he would pay whatever to do it. Then that, that, that would be the, the business decision side of it for Snyder would be, I would take his money then.
0: I would love to see the conversation of his wife Tanya looking at him, going, "That man's offering us nine billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, Shut the fuck up and let's go yeah. be stupid somewhere else."
1: I mean, so true, absolutely, so true. I'm looking at this too. Bezos is worth 119 billion dollars. It's crazy. And like, he's the th- he's the third richest third richest person according to Forbes. Yeah,
0: Tillman Fertitta bought the Rockets in 2017 for 2.2 billion and has an estimated worth of uh net worth of 8.1 billion and he is an absolute out and out poor compared to Jefe Bezos.
1: 8.1 billion is is in is laying around in one of Bezos Amazon dis- distribution centers on the floors. Yeah, <laughs> you pick up all the change
0: you get to 8 billion. I can feel the nervous energy mounting in the Washington fan base as the excuse of Daniel Snyder of, well, I didn't get the offer I wanted is the reason why he stays as the owner of this team and their national nightmare continues. That's oh. it, it. Now, it sounds like more interest is being drummed up and these won't be the only offers right. for the report right. around this. But if I'm a Washington football team or Washington commanders fan, whatever they call them now, I'm not going to feel good until I hear this transaction has gone through. And ding dong, the witch is dead.
1: So I wonder if Bezos were to get the team if like at like owners' meetings, does he get a bigger chair than everybody else? I mean, do they go by what you're worth? I mean, I know he's one of thirty, well, thirty-one owners again. It's publicly owned yeah. in, in Green Bay, but do you get like, you know, that old LeBron James uh Sports Center commercial with Is it is it uh, Scott Van Pelt? It's it's Van Pelt sitting in the chair. No, no, I haven't seen your chair. Does does he get a chair, big chair like that? Because when you're worth 119 billion dollars
0: yeah how do you get to talk to jerry jones when yeah. you're worth that much money is what it comes
1: <laughs> down to so and
0: true that would be fascinating and worth the price of admission in and of itself here uh we hope that you thought today was worth the price of admission if you did make sure you download subscribe rate and review gojo wherever you get your podcast make sure you download subscribe rate and review go look and wherever you get your podcast. Leave them both five-star ratings and review. And check us all out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Gullick Jr. tab and the Golden Smetty tab. Dead. thanks for hanging out today.
1: Hey, I enjoyed it, son, very, very much. I'm waiting for the uh, check in the mail. Uh,
0: keep on waiting. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.
1: Boom. Money in the
0: bank.